Welcome back to Clinicians Brief, the podcast, the conversations behind the content. I'm your host, registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And today we have a return guest who was so amazing the first time. We could not wait to get her back to talk all about the developmental stages of kittens. Her article in July 2020 edition of Clinicians Brief was a huge hit, as well as our previous podcast, uh, regarding developmental stages of puppies. So we would love to welcome back Dr. Alan Lindell. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you back. Just as a reminder for anybody who does not remember or who hasn't had the opportunity to catch our edition on puppies, Dr. Lindell is the president of the American College of Veterinary Behaviors. Her behavior specialty practice is based in New York and Connecticut. She's a member of the Fear-Free Advisory Panel, a certified fear-free professional, and approved fear-free speaker. She's also a behavior consultant for VIN, Veterinary Information Network, and has lectured extensively. Dr. Lindell has written chapters for several publications, including the BSAVA Manual of Canine and Feline Behavior, Blackwell's 5-Minute Veterinary Consult, and the newly updated Blackwell's 5-Minute Consult, Canine and Feline Behavior, and decoding your dog. Dr. Lindell, we are so excited to have you back. Thank you so much for being here and talking all about kittens today. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. I'm like, please don't threaten me with a good time. We're here to talk kittens. I mean, again, like I said, with our puppy podcast, we rarely are all about puppies and kittens as much as people think we are. But today we are all about kittens. And Honestly, I think it's a very important topic to discuss, but also to educate about, right? These developmental stages of kittens. Your article opens up with one of the most eloquent summations I've ever heard. Would you be able to recite that for us? Sure. So I wrote that many cat owners anticipate a reciprocity in physical affection. And when this expectation is not satisfied, the human animal bond can weaken and the cat becomes at risk for relinquishment to a shelter. In addition, attention to the cat's behavioral needs may be reduced, increasing the risk for stress-related illnesses. Further, because less bonded owners may not notice subtle signs of disease, their cats may not receive timely veterinary care. Please rewind that, play it back, rewind it, play it back, rewind it, play it back. Let that beautiful, eloquent statement sink in. Owners don't have aligned expectation of socialization in cats so many times. Yeah. People just get a kitten. They go to the grocery store and they bring home a kitten and they don't know what they're getting or what they even were expecting. So this makes me ask from you, how much of of our adult cat's behavior is based on their life as a kitten and how much of it is based on this lack of pack-oriented nature in cats? Yeah. Cats are special, right? So they're unique in that they are very social, or many of them are, and some of that is perhaps built into their personality. So there's a lot of probable genetics in cats, but then the other piece of it is just early experiences and how they take those early experiences way long before they're likely to engage with humans if they weren't raised in somebody's house as a pet. And so I don't know that the fact that they're not pack-oriented is so much of a difference as much as I think that cats are really great at just examining the world as it's presented to them and sitting back and making decisions. And obviously, it sounds as though I'm putting a lot of words in these cats' mouths, but I think cats really do acknowledge their environment to a huge degree and are able to either manage something on their own, make a decision to engage with it or leave it, 
But what they don't seem to do very often is come to humans or other cats for information about whether this is a good thing or not a good thing that they're about to encounter. Such a great point, right? Like where our dogs are like, "Eh, mom, I'm not so sure I'm going to stick by you. Cats are like, yeah, we're not dying together. (laughs) I'll let you go and do it and watch. That's so interesting. Okay, so going all the way back to the neonatal stages of development, let's walk through that. And when we peak social periods, how essential are they for our cats long term? Yeah, so cats, they do mature a little bit more quickly than our dogs do. Well, not socially necessarily, but as far as their sensitivity periods to absorbing things as natural or taking things in stride, so to speak. So their neonatal period is about the same. It's about two weeks, the same as puppies, where their eyes and their ears aren't really functioning. But soon after that, they develop rather quickly. So their socialization period is considered to start right directly as their eyes and ears start working. And so they really do start to play early, about four weeks old. And it's said that about seven weeks old, their really peak socialization period is winding down, that they already are familiar with the things that they want to be familiar with most easily. And after that, it gets a little bit more challenging for them. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And it's an important thing because I think we have like two distinct groups. We get like the kittens that either we find or they're in a basket at Walmart or something to that effect. Or we have the folks that like go out to the shelter picking kittens or adult cats. And I think one of the major fears of adopting an adult cat is that socialization issue, is the behaviors built in. And so I think being able to coach our clients about their ability to kind of catch up with themselves, so to say, is really important. I just want to say, and we kind of talked about this a little in our puppy episode and trying not to really maybe box them in, but is it too late by the time we get them? Even as an eight-week-old, 10-week-old kitten, is it too late to really impact those vital times? Especially because they're not bred and handled like puppies. I mean, we know that most of the time they're not. Yeah, it's a good question. And I talked about it in our other conversation that I don't think we would ever say that it's too late to expose animals to things and kittens of really what any age that we get them. But what I think we have to think about with cats is that people have very specific needs for their cats. Like there's maybe in a really different way than dogs. I think it may not be voiced as well when people get a cat. Like people that have always had a cat that sits around expect that whatever kitten they bring home is going to be that cat that sits around. And people that have always had cats participate in activities, I call them like puppy cats, that want to be in everything, then people expect that of their next cat. And I think that one thing we might be able to do a better job with is helping our clients know that when they're ready to pick up a kitten, that they might want to look at the small behaviors that the kittens are doing even now. If they get a kitten that's very on the go, they spend a half hour in the room and the kitten just never stops, that kitten is going to be that same kitten when it comes home. And so it's helpful to let people know that because the kittens are socializing more quickly, that they also may be showing their personality more quickly and people could work with that. That's an interesting aspect about that. And truly cats do have amazing personalities, but I think we do sometimes want that puppy cat because we have more experience with dogs. And I love the idea of just sort of understanding their personality for what it is. It's really, truly a great concept, but it makes me 
<laughs> I know I did this to you in the last when we talked about puppies, but what about these bottle raised kittens? How do we do best by them for socialization? Because I, I know bottle raised puppies are one thing, but I feel like we have tons of bottle raised kittens. Yeah, we do. And I think just as we talked about with the puppies, I think the thing that's the most missing is the touch because usually the things that we end up associating with bottle fed kittens is that intolerance of being petted, that don't pet me anymore. You can only pet me three times. And then grabbing hands, whether it's a light grab or a hard grab, not being able to really be lifted comfortably, heavy squirming. So the more those little bottle fed kittens have that opportunity, the better. It's making me think I did a very good job of over coddling mine because he's pretty good about being handled. But then it makes me think about my feral kitty. You know, so I have one of each. I have a bottle raised and then a feral cat who literally came off the streets. I mean, we not even made it to the shelter straight to my house. And so much of that feral is still built into her. And it's been 10 years now. And it's just in her nature. And I know so many people who say, how can I help my cat be less afraid or less scared of strangers or more social? And I think that's a common question we get about cats. And again, I think it kind of comes back to like, what's your motivation? Because it may not be in their instinctual nature to be real super social, but kind of, can you speak to that a little bit when we want to increase social behaviors? Is this just inherent they're in their fight or flight as prey predator? Or is this something we can encourage and make part of their daily routine? Yeah, that's a really good question. So as far as being literally more social, meaning truly seeking out the companionship of, let's just say we're talking about humans as opposed to other cats. So that may be largely built into a cat. But when we think about it, I think a lot of times we try to push our pets or especially our cats into situations where they might have been more comfortable if we didn't push so hard. So the important thing for a cat that's living in a house with people is that that cat is comfortable. So there's a difference between the cat that has guests in the house and is hiding under the bed, fearing for his or her life versus the cat that wants to engage with people. And so sometimes that goes to that point of just thinking about the, you've mentioned the personality of the cat. Is it acceptable for a cat to be able to go about its own daily routine, despite the fact that there's something that the cat doesn't want to engage with, but understands is part of its world versus terrified versus being at that other amazing level where they're actually like rubbing and wanting pets and sitting on every stranger's lap. You can often create behaviors that make it look as though the cat's social. And if that were somebody's goal, you certainly can teach a cat to march over to somebody and sit or take a treat or even sit on a spot because they've been trained to do that. And for some cats, that would be perfectly fine so that people can say, look what my cat does. But as far as the cat from the core relishing those interactions, that you may not be able to create. They may do it if they're properly motivated, right? It's like my husband cleaning the garage. He's like, I'll do it, but I don't want to. Clinicians' brief diagnostic algorithms are a step-by-step diagnostic tool to jog your memory and keep you organized. 
Get the guidance you need to work up cases with straightforward guidelines for testing and case management. To purchase your copy, visit cliniciansbrief.com backslash algorithms. There's so much to cover here, but I don't want to forget to kind of talk to you and ask a little bit about the five-minute behavioral consult. And again, we talked a little bit before about how this needs to be built into our practice. So can you talk to us about what we should be asking? What does that five minutes look like? Five-minute behavior consult? That's a quickie, right? Yeah. So I think that people get a kitten and just think that if it's a wild and crazy kitten, that it's not going to be a wild and crazy adult because it's going to reach that point where it's just done. And it's like, oh, my kitten grew up. Fantastic. So I think our visits for all kittens should always include what is really normal behavior and what behaviors are problematic or concerning to the client even though they're normal behaviors and how can we kind of help get through that? So asking about any concerns and then helping people know, oh, that is normal. We could make an adjustment if you'd like to sit down with us and we'll you know, come on back in because five minutes isn't enough, but making sure you're covering any concerns and the most popular concerns with kittens are going to be people are bleeding, they're being scratched, or that kittens are climbing the drapes too much, or their furniture's being ruined, or it might be something to do with the litter box, which is a very important thing. So, you know, making sure that we cover that that kitten is doing that. And I think in the five minutes that I had for a, a short consult, I would want to make sure that I did review husbandry that supports good behavior. So in other words, having plenty of litter boxes, having plenty of easy access to food or toys, having access to different heights for resting so that we make sure that cats can get away from things if they choose to or under things if they choose to. And then the really important piece for kittens is helping owners understand what is enrichment for an indoor cat. So social enrichment, I would ask the client, how do you play with your cat to make sure they're loving their cat? Because we talked a lot about the human-animal bond before, and people have to love their cat. So ask them how they enjoy their cat. What does your cat love to do and what do you love to do? And making sure that they're meeting their cat's social needs and their social needs as well. I think the resource issue, like you're talking about, the husbandry is so, I guess, so ubiquitously off. I find so often clients go toward cats because they see them as low maintenance, right? They're like one litter box, two cats, clean it monthly. They take care of themselves, dump some food in a bowl. They're the low maintenance pet. And then they end up with these really huge behavioral issues in their cats because they aren't low maintenance. And it's a common misconception I think our clients have. Yeah, agreed. And cats, because they work it out for themselves, they figure out how to do things, but it doesn't mean that they're in a good place emotionally. And when they're not in a good place emotionally, they're not in a good place physically. Yeah, I'm like, so do prisoners. <laughs> you know, that's what I was thinking. Like, they work it out. It doesn't mean it's a good situation. <laughs> so when we think about socialization, I mean, we know how important it is. And I do think it is a struggle with cats. We start talking about things like kitty kindergarten and cat socialization in groups. What are your thoughts on that? How realistic is it? I mean, COVID aside, right? Like we can't even talk about COVID life and figuring this all out, but like how realistic is that and how much should we be incorporating that in our practices? So the best purpose for kitty kindy is the educational purpose for just what we just spoke of as far as that need to 
go over the basics and what's normal. How to gently handle your kitten so that when he grows up, if he needs a pill, he'll be able to take that easily or how to apply medication, trim claws, how to offer different diets so that when your kitten's older, if he needs a special diet, he doesn't say, well, the only thing I've ever eaten is one and only one brand of food. So the kitty kitten is a great way for educating. As far as the value of meeting other kittens, I'm not sure that's been really studied well as far as if you get to meet five kittens when you're a baby, will you be the way the puppies are, therefore more socially flexible? Because it seems that a lot of the cats that manage together to live in a household seems a very strong personality factor as opposed to exposure factor. But I honestly don't know that there's been a paper on that or it's been heavily studied. So I do think that if you have a companionable kitten, any play with any conspecific is going to be helpful for you. So for that purpose, if that's something that's interesting for the cats, that would be fine. I think that exposing kittens to any species that they're likely to need to encounter later is great as far as how much engagement will happen Remember, we talked about a lot of cats just like to sit and look at their world. So just being familiar with the concept of it can sometimes be helpful for a cat, even if they are simply in a cat carrier or in a big cage or on a leash even better where they can say, oh, look, there's another cat and it's not a big deal. So sometimes making the world not a big deal is helpful when you have young pets. You know, I love that wording. When we work with serviced animals, it's what we do, right? Like we teach them that new is normal. So of course, we can't expose you to every single thing. But what we teach you is every time you get exposed to something new, we will keep you safe and you'll be okay and build that confidence. So we can carry that over to all of our pets and exposure is so important. And there's so many great ways we can do it. It's just so neat. And again, go back to decoding the dog. And there is another version called decoding the cat that can really help with those aspects. So one thing I was thinking about when you were talking is that when we get adult cats who we don't have that history on, what are some of the signs things didn't maybe go quite right during those more critical younger times? And what are some things we can do to adapt that? Because when cats are afraid, they're really afraid. It's not like we can positively reinforce them with treats and distance and pets the way we can dogs. So how do we create that positive environment to build that confidence? And I think that the most important thing is not to try to rush things. So patience really pays off when you're trying to help a cat adjust to this new world that they're in, whether they couldn't imagine being in a building with walls or whether they just can't even imagine that there could be children in their world. Helping them be in a safe place where there's nothing coming at them, yet they don't feel the need to flee. And that gets to our kind of high shelves. Sometimes depending on the nature of that person's setup, there can be like a cat fence inside the house so the cats have the freedom to back out of that situation, but learn a little bit about it. Uh, years ago, somebody did a lecture where they demonstrated feral cats in a very large breeder cage type scenario in the busy area of the house, but the cats had their own very safe room and little by little got to learn that oh, these things are just there. So I think that just not telling people to push at their cat and say, look, look, don't you want to be part of this here? Let me pick you up and put you in the middle of it, which is going to be terrifying. That's such a different concept than we're maybe used to. And so many people, you know, some celebrity trainers, for example, who think that like flooding is the way it kind of makes me think about flooding with a cat can never be good. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's not going to go well. It's such wonderful information, though, because I think we do feel that human-animal bond is affected when people are frustrated. And so being able to step in and aid and create the change and help them understand that expectation, that it's not going to be a quick change, especially with cats. It's truly essential. Setting the expectations, right? Yes. Reasonable expectations, not pushing, not overloading. And really important is that, you know, there's the people can do that preventative in a big way in the sense that we talked about how quickly cats do form their personalities and that there's a cat for everybody. So we might as well start when you can with the cat that's the best suited for you. So we don't have a lot of strong temperament testing for cats. There's a little test that get tried out here and there. But I think even as a veterinarian, if somebody came into you and said, oh, I'm ready to get my new kitten, I'm going to go down the shelter, being able to say, hey, let's sit down and here's some things I want you to think about because I want you to be happy with your new adoption. That's wonderful. That's such a non-judgmental way, right? I love that. Okay. Keep it brief segment. As you know, you don't have to keep it too brief, but this is one of my favorite ways to pose a question. And I do this to a lot of my guests. If your cat owners were going to be stuck on a desert island with their cat and they could bring only three things, but food and water will be plentiful, what would you want them to bring? Gosh, if I think about that, I feel like the cats would be in heaven. <laughs> They're already on the desert island and they got the whole world to play with. And I'm assuming there's little animals there for them to chase and watch. But the thing about cats and what to do to please them is that I feel like we have to always know that there's no rules that apply to cats. I was at a lecture from Tony Buffington and he was talking about the diets for cats and you just enrichment and diets, you have to say, what does your cat want? So I think the best thing you could do in preparation for your escape to that island is to have in your mind, what do you think your cat loves the most? Remember I was talking a little bit earlier about what do you like to play with your cat? Well, does your cat like a special toy? Maybe if I had to think about it, would your cat like a cardboard box and a soft fleece to sit on? And another favorite toy might be the top three, but some cats think the hairbrush is the best thing. So if that's your cat's favorite thing, you better bring a hairbrush. So sometimes when I'm doing my consults, I say, what would your cat do for fun? If you said, hey, we're going to have some fun today, what would you like to do? And I think helping people know what their cat would love to do would answer that question. I love that. Get what your cat would love. Make it personal to your cat because they are truly not made from a mold. Each cat is very much their own. Oh my goodness, what beautiful thoughts and so much great information from Dr. Alan Lindell. We could truly talk kittens with you all day. And as I promised before, we had you back and I know we will do it again because your content is amazing. If you haven't already checked out Developmental Stages of Kittens in the July 2020 edition of Clinician's Brief, check it out. Great information. Dr. Lindell, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to today's guest for joining us and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate if you leave us all the stars. You can listen to podcasts as well on our website at cliniciansbrief.com backslash podcasts. You can find us at facebook.com backslash cliniciansbrief, on Twitter at cliniciansbrief, and on Instagram at clinicians.brief. You can also drop us a line at podcast at briefmedia.com. Clinicians Brief, the podcast is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ustry, sound by Randall Stupka, hosted by me, Becky Mosser, with special thanks to production assistant Michelle Moncrez.